We're going to talk about Mary today. We're going to talk about her life. The life of the mother of God really leads us, her obedience, her faith, her sacrifice, it really leads us to exalt Jesus. You know, our life really revolves around stories. We love stories. When, when you're with your friend, friends, they tell stories. When you're watching a movie, you want to hear about a story that will inspire. When you're reading the book, you're trying to get something that gets the juices moving. We love story. The world really revolves around story. And what really happens sometimes is, you ever been watching a movie and you think it's fiction and then it says it's a true story? It said, you got to be kidding me. This is a true story? No way. Like Unbroken. When you're watching that movie, you're like, there's no way a dude crashed twice in the ocean. One plane crash, you're usually, you bat a thousand on plane crashes with meeting your Lord. You know, you usually don't survive plane crashes. This guy went down twice and he survived. He ran in the Olympics. He's going through the POW camps. And he's getting transferred, he's going through all this suffering, and you think that he's going to be better off in the other POW camp? This villainous guy is following him, and you're saying, there's no way this is a real guy. There's no way this guy keeps going to each place. Because you say, how could this be true? How could these characters look so perfect and be in the perfect time, in the perfect place, to write such a good story that actually exalts Jesus? At the end of that man's life, when he was 90 years old, about a few months before the movie came out, he quoted Romans, a biblical book, a book in the Bible. And he said, all things work together for good for those who love him. He saw that God was writing a story through all his suffering, through all his victory, through all his pain. God was the author of his story. And his story was meant to exalt Jesus. And I hope you guys realize that in your life. That everything that goes on, he's writing a story that is exalting his son Jesus. And we all come together in this beautiful narrative that's meant to lift up the name that's worth lifting up, the name of Jesus. That's our purpose. And the reason I share that is because God, when you look, I've been so infatuated, I've been so like enthralled. I've never used that word before, but that's how deep this is getting. With the redemptive story of God lately, how God wrote the story of redemption even when he created us from since he created us in his image. That God wrote this story in Ephesians 1.10, it said all things will be brought together in Jesus. The whole point of this Bible is that the name of Jesus will be exalted. That's why when he said to the Pharisees, they were like, oh man, they were hitting everyone over the head with the Bible, right? Like, boom, you're wrong, you're horrible, you stink, don't even come around here. He was like, you're reading this book all wrong. You're reading this book wrong. This book is all about me. And if you read it rightly, you would have been worshiping me instead of crucifying me. And so the reason why I want you guys to hear this redemptive story is because God had to choose a mother who would give birth to our deliverer. This is crucial. Mary, like think about this. He's going to choose a teenage girl to give birth to the Messiah. And even deeper, it's not just a dude. It's God who becomes flesh, is fully God and fully man, who's going to die and save the world. It was far beyond what they even thought. They thought he was just going to save their people and be a king of their people. It was going to go beyond to the Gentiles and to the world that all things will be brought together in Christ. This is amazing. And so I really want us to think about Mary's story today. Because... You know, 
Catholic churches make the mistake of making Mary a God, and we make the mistake of not honoring Mary enough. Really. I think there's a, there needs to be a middle ground there, and we'll get to it later, where we don't deify Mary, but we don't belittle her. Where we honor her. This woman played a huge role in redemptive history. Blessed among all women. This is an amazing thing. So as you hear her story today, think about how God used her to exalt the name of his son Jesus. This poor teenage girl from a city no one knew about, no one cared about, in a corner of a country no one heard of. This is amazing stuff. I love the kingdom of God. Let's turn to Luke 126 to 138. If you have your Bibles or on your phones, or we make it easy for you, and you can look up here. All right. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord your God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's the word of God. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, as I preach this message, I pray that it hits our souls deep that we realize the salvation that we have received, that we realize how unbelievable it is that broken individuals like ourselves, like sinners like ourselves, get called in your plan to glorify your name. We love you and we thank you. Amen. So we kind of talked about this whole Advent series. We talked first about our need for the Savior. We went all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We started in the first chapter. We said we needed a Savior because of the fall. Pastor Dave talked about the expectations, that there were prophecies, hundreds of prophecies about a Messiah who would come, who would save the people, deliver the people, be a king who would establish an eternal kingdom forever. Today we're going to talk about the salvation, the salvation that was brought through Mary having a baby who would save the world. Christmas Eve is kind of serious because that's the birth. And then on the following Sunday, we'll talk about the second advent, the second coming of Jesus. So big in the story is the choice of the mother of God. This woman was crucial to the telling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to read some, what psychologists say, that the bond a mother has with a kid and how she shapes that child to even the way they see the world. So we understand how important Mary was. Because sometimes we over-hyper-spiritualize everything. God used a human woman to care for, to love, to pray with, to read the Torah with, to pick him up when he falls. Jesus might have got a cold. I don't know. It's cold out there in the Middle East. 
Who knows? But she cared for him in all her humanity. She loved him. She had affection for him. She taught him all these things. She cared for Jesus. We hyper-spiritualize that too much sometimes. There was a human woman who gave her life to love the Son of God. You want to talk about pressure? You want to talk about pressure? How about, man, I remember just being a dad. I was like having anxiety playing video games at 25 years old. Like I'm about to have a kid. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't, I'm living in the basement of my in-laws. What do I do? Imagine you moms when you're sitting there pregnant like, I don't know how to be a mom. Then you're like, it's the son of God. (laughs) How do you roll with that one? You want to talk about pressure? You want to talk about pressure? You've got to raise the son of God who is going to save the world. Dave, those lights. Can we turn them down, brother? I'm going to be blind by the second point. I mean, we can, <laughs> we can throw some. I'm seeing like 60 dots and two people, man. I think there's 250 people here. Um, so they got to choose the mother of the Son of God. And I want you to hear what psychologists say, the importance of that bond. It says, mothers represent a child's bond to the world and the understanding of it. Children recognize and experience that connection with their mother through feelings and emotions they associate with her. So you learn to see the world through the affection and the emotion that your mother shows you. Like, people who aren't really empathetic probably didn't have an empathetic mom. People who have moms who really care about other people and care about them and, and maybe even hurt for others and those kind of things will probably look at the world and be empathetic towards people. A mother really shapes how a child sees the world and empathizes for that world, and if they really care about others. That's an important bond. So Mary's stepping in, and she's really shaping the Son of God in her humanity by the grace of God about how he would see hurting people and how he would care for them. Is that amazing? that amazing? Because God chooses to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I love when, um, I think it was, there was this coach in basketball. He said, a, a priest, you always say to him, God must love ordinary people because he made so many of us. You know, in our society, we don't like that. We make stars in these illusions like they're really all that, and they're not. They're not. We teach that value and worth is get above people and get Twitter followers, and they better like my post. But the truth is God loves ordinary people because he made so many of us. There's only one who's extraordinary, and that's Jesus Christ. And Mary did the ordinary things of loving and caring for Jesus. So then when he looked out at broken people, he said, his heart broke. And he, saw it say, he didn't say, look at all these sinners. They should know better. They should do better. They're worthless. They're a waste of time. He said, they have no shepherd. And they need me to be their shepherd to show them the way. That heart is developed from a mom who shows you how to empathize. And Mary played the role in that. That's huge. That's huge. She also showed great faith. You understand, let's talk about a little about Mary. She was 13 to 15 years old when the angel Gabriel came to her. 13 to 15 years old. And God sends a messenger that tells her that she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world who would deliver her people. Now the first thing that showed great faith is She was expecting a Messiah. We've been talking about that, right? 
She was expecting a Messiah just like everyone else and it had been a thousand, thousands and thousands of years. She was expecting someone who was going to come and save God's people. So when Gabriel said to her, the Messiah is going to be born for you, she didn't say, what Messiah? There's a Messiah coming? She said, wow, the Messiah's going to be born for me? You're talking about the one who's going to rule and reign on the throne of David? The one who's going to establish a kingdom that will last forever? The one who's going to crush all the enemies of Satan and destroy sin and all these things that put um, enmity between God and man? She knew there was a Messiah coming. They knew the Torah. They knew the Bible. They knew the hundreds of prophecies. They were waiting eagerly. So when God said, I'm going to do the impossible, she said, I believe it. Not because of me, because I'm just a peasant girl. I believe it because of your character and because your promise. And that's so important, to believe the promises of God, even when it's been a long, long time, even when there's been suffering, even though you thought it would come before, even though you've been through all this pain, when is it going to happen, God? She said, I'm not going to question God. These circumstances are not going to shake me because I know the nature of God. I know there's promises. I know they're true. My God will come through. Do you guys hear? I didn't mean to rhyme. That's faith. Faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is when my circumstances don't look like it, but my God promised it. And she believed. She believed. And that shows great faith. She's showing the power and love of God by believing in what he said. Secondly, she's a virgin. She's a virgin. She's 13 to 15 years old. And it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He'll make you pregnant. Do you know why she believed that that could happen? Not because she had a sense. I kind of sensed it. I felt it. Good breathing. No, no. She read it in the scriptures. It is written, Isaiah 7, 14, that a virgin would give birth to the king. When Isaiah was prophesying, he said a king would come and the virgin miraculously would conceive and have the Messiah. God is with us, Emmanuel. She didn't believe because she sensed it. She believed because she knew it. In the written in the word of God. When we know the word of God, God speaks to us. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, I believe that because it's written. 600 years before it said a virgin would give birth to the Messiah. 600 years Isaiah prophesied that. So 600 years later she still believed God is true. And she says, I will give birth. Now you want to talk about trying to believe something difficult. Believe that you're going to have a baby. And you're not going to be physically intimate with a man. Thirdly, she believed that God was no respecter of persons. Would you guys have chosen a different person to have the Son of God? A little more wealth, a little more fortune, a little more fame, a little more recognition? Not a con or Nazareth. That's like being born in Lynn, right? If I told you the Messiah is going to come from Lynn, right? I'm from Lynn, so I can say that. If I tell you Lynn, Massachusetts, that's where he's at, you say, Lynn? The city of sin? There's no way the Messiah is coming out of there. He's coming out of Nazareth, a peasant town, not known for religion, not known for academics, not known for anything like that. Relatively poor they were. She knew God wasn't respect her person. He doesn't look at the outward. You guys hear me right now because the world's trying to tell you everything outward. They're trying to tell you you have value if you look out, outward. You have value if you have this job. You have value if you have these friends. You have value if you have this money. God does not look at that. He looks at the heart. That's how he chooses. And she knew God was not a respecter of persons or he would have chose someone else. 
But he goes to this poor peasant girl, teenage girl, and says, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And that's why she said, I'm humbled, I'm a servant of God, that you would choose me. She wasn't like, you got this right. You ever have that attitude, someone picks you, and you I'm just waiting for you to pick me because I'm worthy. She's like, humbled. We should be humbled by the gospel that God's chose to love us through the work of his son. We should be humbled by God's election, humbled by his choice, humbled by his favor. And this is what broke Mary. She's so beautiful character here. God chose a mother who would shape and give birth to the one who would deliver and save the world. You want to talk about stories, if that doesn't give you chills, man. Wow, that's how God rolls. That's how he does it. He, he comes as a carpenter, and he, he, 30 years he doesn't even do ministry. He just loves and cares for people. Then he lays down his life. This kingdom's totally different, even with the choosing of the mother of God. Now, she's on a high, right? Wow, there's pressure involved, but me? <laughs> The Messiah is coming through me. I'm favored. I'm loved. That's like good news. You want to talk about good news? Go to bed and realize you're having the Son of God. Like, this is a good night. Then what she didn't realize is the suffering would start happening right away. I would argue that Jesus, uh, Mary was the first person that suffered for Jesus. She was the first person who suffered for Jesus. Right away she was called a fornicator. She was called sexually immoral. That was frowned upon among the people of God. Imagine trying to tell that story. Pregnant. Betrothed. Betrothed means that you're, you're kind of engaged. It's kind of a long engagement where the husband's going to prepare a house, prepare a place. And once you're married, you'll move into that place. But be, you're betrothed. You're not officially married yet. It's kind of engaged. There's no physical intimacy until you're married. And um, so therefore, she shouldn't have been pregnant. Have your friends come up to you, you're pregnant, you're not married, so you haven't been in everyone, and they have them ask, who's the father? God. Yahweh. Jehovah. What's he do? He creates things like the world. You know, where is he? Everywhere. You know, how do you explain that? How do you explain that? Try to, you try to sell stories in your life? Try to say, God, God did this right here. Right away, she's persecuted. She's rejected. She's struggling because people are ostracizing her because they think she's a filthy sinner that had sex with someone else other than a husband before they married, is pregnant and trying to sell a different story. That's what the Pharisees said. Said Jesus was born of fornication. That story's not true. She was sexually immoral. She starts suffering right away for Jesus. Secondly, how many people can watch their kids go through suffering? Are you good at it? Because I need to sit down and get some lessons. My daughter, when she was in preschool, there was this one girl. She was jealous, I think. <laughs> and she picked on Kara. And she'd make her feel bad, so Kara would play in the corner when she came in. Do you know what I wanted to do? I wanted the father's name and address. I was ready to drive to that house, give left hooks, right hooks, uppercuts, and body slams. There's a certain thing that happens when you have to watch a kid go through suffering. When you have to watch a kid go through pain. It's not easy for a parent. You know, 
my sister just had a baby. Sadie Joe in the house, first time, newest member. So she was all happy when she was going to be a mom. I was happy, but she didn't realize that you have your happiest moments and your most stressed out moments of your life, right? So right away, the baby decides she's not going to cry for six minutes, right? I'm having a baby. This is awesome. Breathing techniques. Devin, do it. All of a sudden, you're waiting for that cry, and that cry is not coming. 30 seconds, I would have been like grabbing doctors like, you better get her breathing. A minute goes by, two minutes go by, three minutes go by, four minutes, six minutes go by. And you go through a suffering and an anxiety that you've never gone through before in your life, right? You've never gone before because your child's suffering. Then you hear that cry and you go through the greatest joy of your life. So you take these trips of suffering and salvation, suffering and, and joy. Then she gets sick, Right? And I won't tell all the details, but then we're down to Children's Hospital at 2 in the morning and watching Nikki, get, when they were taking blood from Sadie Joe, I thought she was going to kill people. I thought she was going to do a leg chop into the knee on one of the nurses because watching your child suffer, watching them go through pain, you can't deal with it. I'd rather get sick a thousand times than watch my kids go through a cold. It's like you can't even because you can't do anything. You want to take it upon yourself. Now what, that's a unique suffering all parents go through, all moms go through, right? Now imagine your son is the savior of the world, the son of God, and you have to watch him go through a unique suffering and a unique persecution. That he's actually, they call him demon-possessed. Imagine that. Do you know they call Jesus demon-possessed? They said he did his healings through the work of the devil. They said he was from the devil. They said he was a blasphemer, and that's why they murdered him. You think your kid's been through some persecution? Imagine Mary standing there and he's actually the son of God and they're saying he's doing this work because of the devil. They're chasing him down. They're trying to kill him. They're calling a blasphemy. They're calling her a liar. She's going through all kinds of pain. Then witness the murder of your child. How many could do that? How many could do that? How many could watch your child, your son or daughter? And I don't care how old they are. They're still your kids, right? How can watch your... Your son's a young man and he's hanging from the cross and you have to sit there and witness the darkness crucify the light. Not needles, spears through his side. She had to watch every lash, all the flogging, his beard ripped out, the thorn, crown of thorns. They watch him spit on, watch him ridiculed and stand by as God's plan unfolded. You want to talk about suffering Mary is blessed among women that she would take both this great reward and this great suffering because suffering always precedes salvation and oftentimes is the greeting that's part of salvation until Jesus comes back. Suffering will always be part of glorifying the name of Jesus. And she went through that pain and her story should cause you to lift up the name of Jesus, that she would go through that. See, because something was happening there when Jesus was on the cross. Jesus was not only dying for you and me and the whole world who would believe in him, all those who would believe in him, he was dying for his mom. He was dying for his mom. Unbelievable, right? You can't get emotional at Christmas Sunday. See, people don't realize this. When, when the angel came to Mary... He's saying, I'm bringing your Savior. 
And this Savior would deliver the world and save the world. But as she watched him die on the cross, she realized he's dying for her sins too. And so I want to get into this so we fully understand this. There's some doctrines on there that aren't healthy that would say Mary was sinless. And I think Mary would turn over in a grave if she heard some of these doctrines that were taught about her. Mary would not want to take any office that was only for her son because she understood the magnitude of it. Mary was not sinless. She needed a Savior just like we need a Savior because we're sinners saved by the grace. Jesus was only one who was sinless. Mary wouldn't want us praying to her because there's only one. That's the office of Jesus. He's the high priest. He's the mediator. She knows that all prayers go through the Son. See, that's the first mistake, and I talked about a little introduction that I want us to stay away from. Let's not deify Mary, because Mary wouldn't want to be deified, because she needed a Savior just like us. But also, you want to talk about blessed among women? You know, when they said about John the Baptist, there's probably no greater man. Not probably, I'm sorry, that doesn't go in the Scriptures. No to greater man. Of course, Jesus was greater, but he was God and man. No greater man has been born of a woman talking about John the Baptist, I would argue say no greater woman there was among human women than Mary. She's blessed among women. Because we when she went to Elizabeth, her cousin was having John the Baptist. You want to talk about cousins really making a difference? That's serious, right? When you're John the Baptist and Jesus, you've got to, you know, holidays a little better when you're saving the world. You know, <laughs> When she sees Elizabeth sees Mary, John the Baptist is already riled up. The wild man's already riled up. He jumps in his womb through the power of the Holy Spirit because something's going down. Something's going down. And she says, you are blessed among women, Mary. God has called you to give birth to the one that we have been waiting for. And she said that. So Mary, what I want us at Restoration Road to realize is that Mary's blessed. She plays a crucial part in this redemptive story. She plays a crucial part. It's amazing that God would call her to do such miraculous and wonderful things. And we can learn a lot on obedience and faith and suffering because she went through more than we even realize. And I want to talk about a song she sang, the Magnificat. And I, I'm from Boston, so I say that, hey, funny. But I want you to read, if you could turn with me, to Luke 146 through 56. When you see that Mary realizes that her Savior is coming and he's coming through her womb, she writes a song, as you should every time something amazing goes on, write a song. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. That's what we're doing today. We're calling her blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. 
And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. That's the song of someone who's been saved. That's the song of someone who's found their salvation in Jesus. And I really want us to focus on these last two verses here. It says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Because what Mary realized is she was part of the redemptive story and God was using her in that. He said from the beginning, I've been promised it all the way through Abraham, all the way through the prophecies, and he has remembered us and he has shown mercy and Jesus has come. It's more and more important every day that you understand how we fit into the redemptive plan. And Mary understood that. He said, he's chosen me of humble estate. And she had her first look into the incarnation. And that's where we're going to kind of go into Christmas Eve. That people might have thought, man, a man is coming to save us. This is going to be someone who's mightier than Moses, mightier than Abraham. This guy's going to be awesome, the Messiah. They didn't realize that God himself was going to be born of a baby and die for the sins of the world and rise again so that all would have life who believed in him. So we're going to leave at that chapter because I want to leave you with a little suspense for Christmas Eve. But our Jesus is awesome, amen? It's awesome the stories you're telling, amen? And I'm thankful we get to be a part of it because if there's anyone of humble estate, I think we'd all would agree that we're of humble estate, that there was nothing in us of why God should should have chose to die for us and love us and reveal the truth of his son to us. I hope we feel that same weight of the gospel today, that it's undeserving, but it's finished and we're secure. And God's our father and we are his children and we have a great and miraculous savior. Let's pray.